family. It's my wonderful privilege to talk to you about our faith promise. And first of all, I want to tell you that our faith promise pledge for 2020 is coming to an end at the end of August. And so far, we have received 4.5 million rand that has been used in so many wonderful and different ways to make a difference. So thank you to you for your generosity and your faithfulness in giving, particularly in these very challenging times. It's been remarkable to see how you have, have given. And this, this has really made a difference um, there's so many stories that are being told of the difference you're giving us made. Um, I can't even begin to tell you all of them, the, the thousands of blankets and clothing items and, and, and items of food that has been distributed through our Hatfield Warehouse, um, through partner ministries and other ministries in our city and different parts of our nation. Uh, it's been remarkable just the the impact that that has had. And I want to tell you just one short story quickly of, of just the difference your faith promise giving has also made. One of our ministries, Jesus For Real, that uh, rescues uh, trafficked women off the street and bring them into a home and to, to cry, uh, create an environment for them where they can be uh, come off the street and begin to live you know, the lives that they should be living. Um, uh, one of their challenges is that these women that they bring off the street uh, that are previously trafficked have comp uh, complicated or complex PTSD, and um, they, they really have many uh, high levels of anxiety and fear. And so when it gets dark, it's a difficult time for them. So during times of load shedding, for instance, it's really hard for them because it heightens their anxiety and their fear with, if there's no light in their home. And... Um, uh, and so they needed a generator, but they did just, didn't need just any generator. They needed a silent generator because on the other hand, with complex PTSD, many of these women would also have come from places where there were generators to produce light because, you know, they they in some secret places or where they kept uh, and the noise of a generator would also cause anxiety for them so they needed a silent generator and through your donations we were able to support the ministry and buy them and give them money towards a silent generator so that when there's load shedding or other power cuts going off they at least can have light in their homes at night and the ladies can feel far more comfortable and at ease and not struggle with that, that higher anxiety levels isn't that fantastic so thank you for your giving and the practical real difference it makes now it's our opportunity to to ask the lord and to pray about faith promise pledge for 2021 that begins in september and runs till next august of 2022 and i want to invite you right now to to join with me as we ask the lord what we should give because remember faith promise is a faith pledge it's when we when we trust the lord for an amount of money that we can give towards ministry and uh, and missions and the work that we do so Right now, I want to lead you in a prayer, and we're going to pray. 
And I want to invite you to pray with me. Ask the Lord what it is that he wants you to give. And then I want you to, I'm going to take you through the pledge process and help you just to to fill in the pledge form. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you for generous hearts right now that are open and leaning in and saying, Lord, what is it that you want me to contribute and to trust you for? And I thank you, Lord, that as we ask that you speak to us with clarity. So I I ask, speak to every person, every family now, clearly, so that we can know how to respond to build your kingdom. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to really thank you for your pledging. It's such a joy for our community over these many, many years, more than 30 years that we've done Faith Promise, to have been so faithful in how we have served our city and our nation and beyond in seeing the kingdom of God built. Thank you for your generosity. Well, it's so fantastic to start our Faith Promise season. And uh, thank you for being part of that. Many of you are, have been part of Faith Promise journey uh, for a long time. Some is new to it, uh, but it's always an exciting time of the year for us. And I want to take us to a scripture right away that the Lord has been speaking to us as a community through particularly. This scripture the Lord has spoken to us over years and years in our community. But in 2019, there was a, a, a renewing of the Lord, of a sense of the Lord using the scripture to speak to us uh, at the end of 2019. And uh, this scripture has really, even over these last months and years, as we've been with the pandemic and lockdown, has really been a guiding light for us and an instruction from the Lord. And it's that wonderful scripture in Isaiah 60 from verse 1 to, to verse 3, where it says, Arise, shine. And that's the command that we've experienced from the Lord. Arise, shine. And I want to just read you the scripture again. Um, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your dawn. Surely this is a time where the church of the Lord Jesus is arising and shining in so many wonderful, beautiful ways. When I speak to my friends all over our city, our nation, and even other parts of the world, it's amazing to hear and to see what God is doing in His church. Yes, there's a purifying taking place on the one hand, but there's a display of His glory that is shining brighter and brighter. And it is a time where we want to make sure as a, as a community that we are stepping more and more into that mandate to arise and shine. And, and our faith promise season is certainly about that. It's certainly about how do we shine and reflect the glory of God in these days that we are living in. And, um, and, and particularly through our generosity. And today I want to share with you about our hearts that are hearts of generosity. And the reason for that and why our hearts are hearts of generosity. And uh, to do that, I want to take you right back into the, into, the Garden of Genesis, uh, <laughs> into the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden. Say that again, in the book of Genesis, right into the Garden of Eden. And uh, over the last couple of weeks in our King and I series, we've been speaking about um, just God's mandate for us and how he has given us authority uh, and, and given different institutions authority. Um, uh, uh, but I want to talk today about this world that we are living in now that is in a, st- in a fallen state. And uh, give a backdrop, in a sense, as to why our generosity is of such great value and importance. You'll remember that what happened in, uh, in Genesis um, when Adam and Eve was tempted by Satan. And in Genesis 3, verse 4 and 2, verse 5, we read the following. You will not certainly die. This is Satan speaking to Eve. 
and he is lying to her, deceiving. Remember, we've said that Satan doesn't have his own kingdom. He's a liar and a deceiver. He's trying to usurp man's authority and steal man's authority because he no longer has his own authority because he's a fallen angel. And so here he comes, and he wants to steal their authority, and he does it by lying to them. He brings doubt into their minds as to what God has said. And he said, you will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In the creation, when God made Adam and Eve, He made them to glorify Him, to make His beauty and His majesty and His rulership known. They were to be co-workers with God, representing His rulership on this earth. Um, last week I said that... Uh, uh, just a simple definition of politics is, is how we organize and arrange our societies and who gets to decide how we arrange and organize our societies. So therefore you can say, before the fall, the politics of, of life on this earth was how do we organize life and structure life so that God can be glorified. But then Satan came and he lied to them. And through that, he got mankind to believe the lie that they do not have to be under God's rule, but that they can rule in themselves and by their own right and in their own authority. That they can take the authority that God has given them to rule with him and on his behalf and take that authority and make it their own authority and rule on their own and for themselves and in themselves. And that's basically what they believed. And so when mankind did that, they twisted the rulership in this earth and the the, the, the way we now order our societies post the fall is no longer does a society get ordered and how people live is not ordered around how do we glorify God, but it is ordered around how do we glorify ourselves. How do we show that we deserve to rule? How do we show that we have authority and that we know best? That we know what is right and wrong. We know what is good and evil. We don't need God to tell us that. So we structure everything according to that principle about how can we be glorified and, and look to be right. So self-rule is this desire that we have as, a man, as man now in the fall. And self-rule requires self-justification. It requires that we justify why we need to rule instead of why God needs to rule and why God has the authority to rule. We need to establish and justify why we have to rule. And we see that happen right there after Adam and Eve sinned and, and fell in sin and ate of the, of, the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. As God comes walking in the garden, the cool of the day, he looks for them, they're hiding from him, and God finally finds them. And, uh, and then he says, now, what's going on here? You know, why are you hiding from me? Um, and, and, and then the story comes out that they've eaten. Um, and, and so when God confronts them about this disobedience, this rebellion, this which they have done, what, is, what happens? What do they do? And uh, we see this in Genesis 3 verse 12. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. And I ate it. Can you see the self-justification going on? The, the deflecting of guilt, the, of shame, and saying, it's not my fault. Uh, this doesn't disqualify me from ruling. I, I am justified. It's not me. It's the other person. And isn't that so much what we do as human beings? We, we consistently want to justify why we are good enough, why we are qualified to be the ones that rule. And one of the ways we do that is we deflect guilt and shame away from ourselves. I can remember one of my earliest memories as a human being is when I was around 
probably five years old. I can remember one day I was at home and the lady, Dina, that used to look after us and, and, and uh, be in our house with us, uh, and me and my brother at that stage, and uh, she was vacuuming. And uh, I, my mom tells me that I used to love the vacuum cleaner and always were under her feet when she was vacuuming. And that's why I called a vacuum cleaner a balega. Balega actually means get away, you know, leave, go, go, get out of here. And, uh, but, and, and she would always have to say that to me when she was vacuuming uh, as, a, as a toddler. She would say, balega, balega. And that's why I would call the vacuum cleaner the balega. And so one day she was busy with a balega and she was in, a, in our room vacuuming. And so to let, let me bother her, she closed the door. And this upset me. And uh, so what I did is I, I, if I remember correctly, I took a little like cricket wicket, a little cricket post, and I started banging against the door um, and shouting so that because I wanted to be inside where she was. And uh, so I, as I banged against the door, you know those interior doors, cardboard doors, not very strong. I actually whacked a hole right into the door, and um, you know then I was in trouble. And so when my parents got home that evening, and they so they they were like, what's going on here? And, um, you know, they confronted me and they said, what happened? And it's at that point where I had the brilliant idea as a five-year-old to blame my brother and say, it's not my fault. I didn't do this. It was my brother. The problem was my brother could hardly crawl at the stage. Never mind pick up a wicket. And he'd, so my plan wasn't really very clever. But it just, it's our human nature. We always want to prove why we deserve to be the ones in charge, why we deserve certain things, why our rights and, our, and, and what should be begetting and having, and, and that nothing should disqualify us from that. So with self-rule comes self-justification. And that's what shapes the politics of the world post the fall in the Garden of Eden, is this constant process of man wanting to justify their rulership, and particularly their rulership over other men. And right there in the Garden of Eden, in the curse that God gave, it, it is implied right there, this power struggle. Firstly, between men and women, that, that the woman would, would strive for her husband, but he will rule over her, that there's a power imbalance that takes place. And all over the world, this power imbalance has taken root, and we're consistently struggling and, and wanting to justify why I should be the one that rules over others, or my people should rule over others. Uh, and, and we use various reasons to justify why we should rule over others and why we should be exalted and lifted up. And that's why I say that the, the politics of the, the fallen world is organized around our glory as man and who gets to rule and who gets to design, decide what is right and wrong versus where it was supposed to be that, our, that we order our lives around how do we glorify God and submit and live under his rulership and, and his loving grace for us. So now we live in a world where man desires to rule over others and we justify why we should do that. So Jesus comes to earth and he comes to reveal to us God's rulership again, to bring us back to that place as the son of God where we come back to God's rulership and to living life in a society that is organized around and ordered around the king and his rulership. And how do we glorify him and obey him? And so when Jesus is on earth, he's teaching us what this kingdom looks like and how, what are the principles of this kingdom? And what are the truths of this kingdom? And how this kingdom is so different than this, the world and what we know in the world 
and what it looks like when a kingdom is ordered around glorifying the king instead of ordered around glorifying us. What, what is that? How different is that? And one of the, the, the greatest teachings that he gave to show how this world is different is what we call the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. And I want us to go to Matthew 5 today. So if you have your Bible with you, please go with me to Matthew 5. And we're going to just look through the Beatitudes. The word Beatitude um, is from the Latin word uh, for blessedness. Um, and it means both to be happy and to be blessed. Some translations you, you'll see, even of more modern translations, will say, if you want to be truly happy, then. Uh, where the older translation says, you know, blessed is he. Um, it, con it, it has this, context, this concept of, of extreme, extraordinary happiness and joy and blessedness, this well-being, this everything working together for good and life being wonderful and, and fantastic. So what Jesus is literally saying, if you want to have a good life, a blessed life, a happy life, then these are the principles by which you have to live your life. These are the kingdom truths that you need to imbibe into your life and bring, uh, organize your life around and let it be the order of your life. And then you will have a chance in this world even of seeing what it means to be a blessed and happy person. And he, and he lays out these Beatitudes as very different organizing principles and rules than what we are actually doing in this world. Because remember, as I said, we are organizing and ordering life around our own glory. He says, no, these are the truths that you have to organize and, and live your life by. So he begins by, by saying the following. Um, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, the poor in spirit are those that recognize their poverty, that recognize that they do not deserve anything. They do not have a claim to anything. They are the ones that recognize that they are wrong, that they cannot be justified in themselves, that they have no right to rulership, that they have no authority outside of God. They are the ones that recognize their lowly position, their poverty in the kingdom of God, that do not stand up and, and, and claim to have rulership and claim to have to be justified in why they should rule, but they're actually the ones that bow the knee before God in humility and say, we deserve nothing from you, Lord. We do not deserve to be rulers. We do not deserve to represent you. We recognize how wrong we are. We don't stand on our claims for how right we are. We recognize how wrong we are. And it says to those to those that recognize their position of poverty, that recognize their failure, to them he gives the kingdom of heaven. To them he gives rulership and authority. So again, we see right there how different that is than the spirit of the world. The spirit of the world is we deserve. The spirit of the kingdom is we don't deserve. We have failed. We have disobeyed God and we recognize that. The second one is, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Instead of, of reveling in our, in our achievements and in all the reasons we can give, and the, why we should be justified in our rulership and, and stand strong and proclaiming, look at us, you know, we, we can do this, we've got the answers. Instead of, of you know, boasting and being pride and, and standing in our achievements and our claims to, that justifies our rulership, we actually mourn. 
We mourn our failure. We mourn how we have, have, have treated God. We mourn that we have sinned against a personal God in a way that offends Him very personally. And we mourn the hurt and the harm we have caused each other and to this planet and, and to His kingdom. We, we come at that place and, we, and instead of being this proudful people that stand and say, we, we know what is right and wrong, we, we come again with a humility to say, we don't know. We have messed it up. And we mourn. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Because we know there's no comfort found in our self-justification and our self-worth. There's only comfort found in experiencing the forgiveness of God, the restoration of God. When God comes and picks us up and, and, and forgives us our sin, when we feel the pain and the sorrow of our sin, God comes and comforts us by his forgiveness that was made available on the cross of Christ. But we come and we say, Lord, forgive us. We mourn. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. When we recognize we are not worthy to rule, then we get off the throne and we allow God to be on the throne. Instead of organizing and ordering everything so that we can be justified and we can be glorified, we organize everything to say, Lord, your glory. Then we recognize that we have authority that was given by him, but we always use it for him, to honor him and not ourselves. We come into that position where we, where, where we are recognizing our guilt and our shame. We seek his forgiveness and we continue to realize that we have been justified in him. Not in our achievement, not in our works, but in his grace. And grace is the, is the, is the meter of our lives. Grace is the pattern, it's the rhythm of our lives. It's this understanding of what we have received and how we can now live empowered. So we're consistently receiving grace and giving grace. And, we, and when, what we do is we recognize, I have no right to rule over anybody else. I cannot lord it over anybody. But I can, through service, stand in the authority that God has given and rule in this earth in a way that glorifies his name and makes people see and experience his kingdom rule. But I do it from a place of meekness. I don't use race ethnicity, gender, class, nationality, philosophy, or religion to prove that I deserve rulership more than the next person or that my people are better than the other people. We recognize that every person has failed, but that God has been gracious to us. And from that place, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. God gives the earth to those that come with that spirit of meekness, of recognition. Not to the arrogant, to the ones that try and take it, but the ones that consistently give it to God. Those are the ones that he trusts. Then we come to blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Instead of hungering and thirsting for power, hungering and thirsting for influence, politicking, playing the game, 
finding the inside lane. How do I manipulate? How do I outwit everybody so that I can be connected and so that I can have my way and the people like me that we can rule and we can have our way. Instead of playing politics for self-rule, we turn the game around and we say, no, we seek for what is right. And we will allow the Spirit of God to speak to us first. The first place we seek for righteousness and where we hunger and thirst for that which is right is in our own lives. We don't, we don't judge others first. We judge ourselves and we say, Lord, my heart needs to be purified and to be brought into submission to you. And I come and I say, Lord, here's my heart and I give it to you, Lord, Forgive my sin and cleanse me of all unrighteousness and purify me. I seek righteousness and I thirst for righteousness in my own life. And then from there I begin to seek that God's righteousness and God's rightness is reflected throughout this world. Again, everything is organized for His glory. For those that seek and thirst and hunger for righteousness, they will be filled. We will not ever be filled by what we try and gain, by what we try and get, by trying to establish our authority and our rulership. It will never fill us because it's illegitimate. The only way we will be filled is, again, by how we seek God's glory. Unless a seed falls in the ground and dies. When we die to our own desires for, for justification and rulership and we give it to him and organize life in that principle, there's there's his provision then comes to us and he fills us. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. <laughs> we recognize the mercy that we've received, that we did not deserve mercy. We did not deserve to be forgiven by God. We did not deserve to be given a second chance. We did not deserve for God to trust us and to say, come rule with me. Be co-heirs in the kingdom. We don't deserve that. We recognize that and we recognize that nobody deserves it. That mercy can never be earned, but mercy is always given to those that don't deserve it. And because we recognize how much mercy we've received, we then in turn can give mercy to others. Because we know they'll never deserve it. We're not asking of them to deserve it. We give mercy. Mercy by nature has to be given. And therefore we give mercy. We give mercy to people in this world. We don't, um, we're not merciful to, to myself but harsh on the rest, or merciful to people like me, but we harshly judge the rest. We don't have a bias. We recognize how much we needed mercy and didn't deserve it, and therefore we can give it freely. We recognize how much we've been forgiven, and therefore we can forgive those that trespass against us. We receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And if we continue in that spirit of God, then great mercy will continue to be shown to us. And there's a blessedness that comes in our lives, a happiness in a world which is organized around these principles. Then he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are those that, are, that, are, that don't have hidden agendas. The, the way we're organizing our world right now, the way we're structuring our world is so filled with hidden agendas because it's all about I'm trying to manipulate somebody else to support my cause so that I can actually get what I want. And, and I'm even prepared to work with those that are my enemies 
for a period of time, as long as their interests align with mine, because so that ultimately I can get what I want. And we structure everything, and our hearts aren't pure. There's not a pure motive in us, which is, which is about the other, which is about God. All these wonderful things that we so often do as human beings is all about trying to get the edge and, and, and to play the political game and to get the inside track. And to justify ourselves. So often what we do is we, we do good and we put it all over Facebook and we put it all over social media and we tell everybody when we've done a little bit of good because we're trying to tell everybody, look at us, I'm good. I deserve the adulation I'm getting. You know, famous people, they, they, they always you know, do these benevolent acts and, and so much of it is just because they want to feel like they deserve the fame that they have. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. God says, if your heart is pure, if what you're doing comes from a purity of organizing this world for the sake of his glory and how others can be seeing him and that he will be reflected through us to others, that we will arise and shine and others will see the glory of the Lord because our hearts are purely about that. He says, then he will allow you to come into his very presence and you will see him face to face. You will know him because you've made your, it your business to let others know him. You're not trying to get it for yourself. You're trying to give space for others to know him. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers don't we need peacemakers in this world? This world that is so organized around how I can get what I want and take from others. Why I can establish why we deserve to have most and others can have less. Or how we can deserve our space but we take from others. And so much of our politics today and even in our nation, there are some in our, in our nation that are, that are wanting to divide people. That are using this arrangement of life because it's not about organizing things so that God can be glorified and for every person it's about me and mine and so they, 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 they use things like race and ethnicity and gender to divide us, to polarize us, to separate us from one another, to blame, to, 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 to subjugate, to, to say that you have no right why, how, what gives you the right to say anything? You, you're not from here or, or you know, I, I've been here longer than you, so therefore I have a right to say, you don't have a right to say, or I have more power than you. you know, I bring more money, therefore I can say more than what you can say. You know, and we do all these things. But that's not what a peacemaker does. A peacemaker is a person that says we will work to find space for every person. Everybody belongs. Everybody needs to be heard. Everybody be, needs to be brought around the table. Remember, there's a difference between a peace lover. A peace lover is a person that just tries to avoid any conflict and therefore lessens the bar. They lower the bar of truth. They sort of make the bar so that it becomes the lowest common denominator. A peacemaker lifts up truth and stands for truth because they know it's only in the truth that we will find our place in God and where God will be glorified. And so they elevate the truth and they speak the truth and they prepare to stand for the truth and suffer for the truth. Not to let others suffer for the truth, but they will suffer for what they believe to be true. And hold that truth, but use that truth in a way to bring all people together. To make space for everyone. To say that there's, there's place for every person at the table. Every voice needs to be heard. 
Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called children of God. I can't be called a child of God if I say somebody else is not a child of God. In terms of, you know, discrepancy on based on any just self-justification. Only those that recognize that they cannot be justified in themselves can be called children of God. So if I recognize that I have no right to be called a child of God, but by the blood of Christ and receiving by faith his forgiveness, I have been qualified as a child of Christ. Therefore, every person is welcome and can receive the blood of Christ and be forgiven. Every person needs to be forgiven. Every person isn't automatically a child of God. They need to be forgiven and receive the forgiveness, but it is open and available to every person. Therefore, we are the children of God. And then the last one is, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Because we know the nations are raging against our God. They, they're wanting to overthrow his rule. They don't want to live under his yoke, as they say in Psalm 2. They, they don't want to you know, be under God's authority. They're raging, and they will take that out on us. When we try and represent God or, or speak up on God's behalf, they will turn against us because they're fighting God. Jesus said, if they reject you, they reject me. And when we know that we'll be in the firing line, we will be the soft targets at times. And we understand that that will happen. And in a sense, we're okay with that. We, we, we recognize that it's not about us. It's about him and it's about his glory. And we will continuously stand for his glory, for his truth, representing him in this world. And therefore, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we come to that place in our lives where we, where we hold on to nothing, where we say nothing is about me and about mine and about my justification and my position, I'm prepared to let everything go on this earth for his name's sake, then he gives everything of heaven to us. Then we also recognize that this earth is but for a period of time. And, and we have a, a, an eternal view where we say, the people of this earth may persecute us. They may not want us to be here, but we have a home for eternity in God, with God in heaven. And we, we know that this will happen in big ways, small ways, whatever. But we experience that, but we put him first in everything. Those are the Beatitudes. This different way of organizing and structuring our lives for his glory. And it's that which produces in us this generosity, this spirit of generosity, that while this earth is not our home, while we recognize this earth with all its failings and all its troubles, there's a generosity that comes in us because we go, these this earth needs to know that there's a God on the throne and they need to experience his love and his grace and his kindness. And we have experienced it and we want to give it in every possible way that we can. I loved what David Livingston, the famous missionary, African missionary said. I place no value on anything I have or may possess except in relation to the kingdom of God. If anything will advance the interest of the kingdom, it shall be given away or kept. Only as, be, as by giving or keeping it, I shall most promote the glory of him to whom I owe all my hopes. 
in time of eternity or eternity. This is a very radical way, different way to look at our material possessions. It's not so that they can glorify us. You see, as children of God, we know that our material possessions cannot justify us. They cannot glorify us. The world thinks material possessions will justify them and glorify them. We know it won't. So therefore, we treat it differently. It still has value. It still has importance. But its importance is no longer in how it glorifies us. Its importance is in how it glorifies God. So like Livingston says, I will use it, give it away, or keep it in whichever way serves the kingdom best. And that's how we use our money, our resources, everything that we have. We give to God. And that's the generosity of spirit that we have. N.T. Wright The theologian says, the kingdom that Jesus preached and lived was all about a glorious, uproarious, absurd generosity. That's the kingdom. That's the Beatitudes. You cannot have the Beatitudes if you do not understand that generosity of our Father. That uproarious, glorious, absurd generosity. And this is the way we live our lives. We do not seek, as Matthew Matthew 6 says, We don't worry about what we're going to wear, what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, where we're going to live. We don't have to worry about those things. It's not that those things aren't important because the scripture says your father knows you need those things. It's just we don't live our lives towards those things. We live our lives towards glorifying God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his right to rule, his authority. Seek that first. Then the scripture says, and he will add all these things to us. God wants to bless us. God wants to give us and share with us the beauty and the majesty and the the pleasure and the joy of his creation. He wants us to have that. But if we're living for that, it's a poor life. A rich life is living for him and him giving us that which he wants to share with us. As his co-rulers of this beautiful, magnificent, abundant earth that he created. So we give joyfully and and graciously and with generosity. In Jeremiah 29, we read this verse in verse 7 where Jeremiah speaks to the people that have been in exile and to strange and foreign cities. And he says this to them, Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. God knows we are connected to this earth. Our well-being and our livelihood, our blessedness needs to be experienced and expressed in this earth, and that's what he wants for us. But the only way we can do that is if we, if we play our part in structuring and organizing our society in a way that glorifies him. And that's what we do as the church. That's our job as the church, to make known the manifold wisdom of God to principalities and powers in the air, to live God's kingdom now here in every space of influence, in our city, in Tswane, to live here. This is the primary first place that God has given us. Yes, we, 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 we are here to disciple the nations, but that begins because we are relevant and real and authentic here in our space. And as our Hatfield churches, that so much of what Faith Promise is about is about through partner ministries and through our own initiatives and our own things that we do through the Smile in the South and through many different you know, things that we do, we are trying to create God's order in our society in very practical and real ways. And that's the difference your Faith Promise makes. Your generosity 
Whether it's your generosity in your everyday life and wherever you go, however you're helping people and showing the spirit of generosity to people, and also your generosity through faith promise that is more structured and organized ways that we, that we are displaying God's kingdom on this earth and bringing God's order into our society, you are making the difference. So we want to invite you boldly, be part of faith promise. Take your pledge, fill in your pledge, pray, ask the Lord what you must give, and give knowing that it is according to God's word and principles, and it makes a difference. I want to pray with you as I end today. Trust the God, the Lord, just for his working in our lives and for this continued peace that we can have of knowing that, he, that we live our lives for him and what that means for us. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. Thank you for the Beatitudes, Lord Jesus, that you taught us how to reorganize and restructure our lives. To not live from that place of self-glory, but to live from that place where we seek your glory. What does that practically look like? And so I pray for each of us, Lord. Continue to work with us. Continue uh, to disciple us, Lord Jesus, into being people that live, are living these blessed lives. Because we are living from a completely different orientation. That is now possible because of the blood of Christ that has cleansed us. And that we are sons and daughters of the kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. I pray for every person that is with us in the service today. I pray, Lord, that they will experience your blessing upon their lives. As in whatever way they can, that they will live the generosity of the kingdom. The grace, the mercy of the kingdom. And display that. And so that our world can be reordered to bring your glory. You glory in every place where we are the salt and the light. And I thank you for that. Thank you for every family, every person in this service. I speak your blessing over them today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for being part of Faith Promise.